The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, I want to start today with the coronavirus update. I think it's useful to do this um, at least once a week. Last week, people seem to appreciate it. And, and uh, because I look at this stuff every day, I assume that everybody has all the same information I have. And we learned a long time ago when we were kids what happens when one assumes. And I don't want to do that. So let's do the coronavirus update. I have cautiously good news uh, about cases and deaths and vaccines. And we're going to discuss the coronavirus variants and, and let's get right into it. So first of all, cases last week, I told you that after peaking around January 11th, Average daily covid cases were down about 42 percent as of early last week. And I said at the beginning of last week, by the end of last week, meaning Friday, we would probably be down 50 percent in terms of daily cases from that peak on January 11th. And we reached that milestone and we have now surpassed that milestone. Covid average daily cases in the United States are down to one hundred and ten thousand, still an insane number, one hundred and ten thousand cases a day on average. But that's a fifty six percent decline from the peak on January 11th. So in basically four weeks, average cases down fifty six percent, which puts us roughly where we were back on November 10th. And hopefully that will continue to decline if cases continue declining at the same rate that they have been since January 11th, we'd be down to about 48,000 cases a day by the beginning of March. It's unlikely that this will be a straight line decline. There will be changes. There will be inflection points. But um, this is a very, very good piece of news. And we will talk about how the variants may affect these numbers. Now, what about deaths? We've previously mentioned at this point, everybody's probably sick of hearing me say deaths lag cases by about three to four weeks. We would expect that if cases peak on January 11th, deaths would be peaking and starting to decline around now. Is that happening? Yes, it appears to be happening. Deaths hit an average peak of about thirty four hundred deaths per day around the middle of January, more than a 9-11 every single day. The trend line sort of plateaued and it has started to come down and hopefully will start to come down more uh, quickly as people are vaccinated, particularly folks at highest risk of death. So that gets us to variants. And to get to variants, we have to go through vaccines. Currently, there are two vaccines approved for emergency use in the United States. First was the Pfizer vaccine than the Moderna vaccine. Early um, uh, concerns about supply and delivery um, have been replaced by more cautious optimism from Pfizer and Moderna about their ability to continue delivering millions of doses per day. As many of you know, I was on a sort of on call list for leftover doses at the end of the day. A friend of mine works at a hospital that has a zero waste commitment on doses. And uh, I was able to get my first dose of the Moderna vaccine about 10 days ago from a leftover dose uh, from canceled appointments. And the numbers continue to improve. The U.S. is now giving out an average of one point four six million doses per day. Remember, Joe Biden's goal was one million doses per day for 100 days. We're at one point four six million doses per day. And on Saturday and Sunday, the U.S. actually did 
2 million doses each day, 2 million on Saturday, 2 million on Sunday. That is absolutely fantastic. If we get a third vaccine approved in the next three weeks, uh, Johnson and Johnson has submitted their vaccine for approval. That's a one dose vaccine. Not inconceivable that the U.S. could get to 2.5 million doses per day. I mean, I want to be careful, but even three million doses per day, which would be absolutely fantastic. And the one dose nature of the JNJ vaccine uh, makes the, logi- the logistics even easier. Now, cases down, deaths starting to come down, vaccinations starting to go up. What about the covid variants? There is a lot of doom and gloom about the covid variants from the UK, from Brazil and from South Africa. Lots of people being very dire about this, some even saying the vaccines just flat out don't work against the variants. So what is the truth? Uh, The truth is really not that bad. Uh, What we know, uh, we know the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not even approved in the US yet, really doesn't seem effective against that South African variant. That's bad. They're having problems moving forward. Okay. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are approved in the United States, seem the way I would characterize it colloquially without making a mathematical statement is the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines appear to be quite effective against the variants, including the South African variant. Now, it is true. Early data suggests you are less protected against the South African variant with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. It doesn't mean you are unprotected. People immune responses on a on a bell curve, as many of you know, and we've looked at and those with a stronger immune response to the vaccines are probably still protected against the South African variant and protected against the British variant. That's the B117 variant and and the Brazilian variant. But very importantly, this is not a reason not to get vaccinated. It's a reason to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. The virus mutates as it spreads. Every time that the virus goes from one person to another is an opportunity for a mutation. The more people you get vaccinated now, fewer cases, less mutation, fewer variants. Okay, Moderna and Pfizer are studying the variants. They are developing as a sort of insurance policy a modified booster shot, but that's eight, nine, ten months away based on my current understanding. So we don't yet know what the approval process will be from an FDA standpoint for modified uh, vaccines. So what we can do now is there's no point in waiting. If you're eligible for a vaccine, get the vaccine, because if you prevent an infection or two infections or three infections by being vaccinated, even if eventually the British South, South African and or Brazilian variants become the dominant strains. The more people that have partial protection, the better. There's no argument for delaying. Uh, There is a debate now about what happens in three months. So we've talked about cases are coming down quickly. Deaths have leveled and are starting to come down, but the variants are spreading. There are some the most pessimistic perspective who say the variants are going to take over. The vaccines will not work against them and cases will explode again to the level we saw um, in December. Uh, I don't think that's the most likely scenario based on all of the um, epidemiological data I've seen and interviews and statements uh, and writing from immunologists and epidemiologists. If we keep vaccinating, the January 11th peak will likely be the final major peak as the weather starts to improve in the parts of the country that have uh, winter and more and more people are vaccinated. Yes, it is likely true 
that more and more of the cases will be the variants. But it is also true that more and more millions and tens of millions and hopefully hundreds of millions of Americans will have uh, sufficient protection against these variants that cases will continue to decline. Now, when we get to then we'll have summer, et cetera. When we get to the next flu season in the fall, um, hopefully by then there will be a modified booster if indeed it's determined that that's what's necessary. And my hope is, and I believe it's realistic but cautious, is that the January 11th peak was the final peak for this pandemic. Um, all we can do now is continue to be safe, continue to vaccinate. And uh, I, I've mentioned this before. We should not undersell the vaccine. I, I know people who are saying, listen, I'm being told even if you get vaccinated, it may not work against the variants and you still have to wear a mask. You still have to social distance. There are lots of good immunologists and epidemiologists who are saying, listen, in, in a month, if these, the numbers continue going this way, if you are fully vaccinated, meaning a week past dose two, it's it's a very acceptable level of risk to have an indoor dinner with six fully vaccinated people. Let's be realistic about what this means. It doesn't mean you go to the grocery store and you say, I don't have to wear a mask because I'm vaccinated. That's going to be the policy for some time in parts of the country. I know friends in, in places like Arizona are telling me that nobody's wearing a mask at the grocery store. But in much of the country, that's what's going on. It'll continue to go on. But let's be realistic about the game changing nature of these vaccines. We'll check in about the data again uh, next week. Donald Trump's impeachment trial starts today. Now we're going to talk about in a bit after the break. What is the argument that Donald Trump is making about the impeachment? What is the argument that his lawyers will make about the impeachment? But first, let's talk about what should happen in this impeachment. If this was a fair world where actions had consequences, even if you're the president, there should be probably a secret ballot for impeachment so that senators would not be uh, bullied into uh, voting to acquit merely to avoid what might be the political consequences. There should be a secret ballot and there should be a unanimous conviction of Donald Trump based on the evidence that we've seen. Now, there's a really good article, an op ed in The Hill. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. It's Douglas Meek, K-M-I-E-C. I I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, Douglas uh, points out that the entire argument that will take up the first day in today's Senate impeachment trial, which is is the impeachment trial even constitutional? That is not the duty of the Senate to determine. The duty of the Senate is not to determine whether this is constitutional. First of all, it is. And secondly, why would you put many non-legal scholars, non-legal professionals in a position of deciding about the constitutionality of something? It really doesn't make sense. What jurors in the Senate should be determining is whether Donald Trump could reasonably foresee that the consequences of him saying it's all rigged for a month or two months. Let's go down to the Capitol. We're marching down to the Capitol. Rudy Giuliani, you know, a trial by combat, all of this stuff. Could it was it foreseeable that the uncontested reality of what took place was something uh, that that was likely to take place? That is what the determination ultimately needs to be. Donald Trump doesn't have the law on his side when it comes to avoiding um, uh, impeachment because of some constitutional issue. But in any case, that's not really what the Senate should be deciding. And there is really no disagreement about what took place on January 6th. As Douglas Meek points out, uh, even Trump's defense team acknowledges the facts of what took place on January 6th, which was a violent 
uh, insurrection attempt at the U.S. Capitol. So then it becomes a question of really common sense. Remember, this is not a court of law. The Senate uh, was uh, was it reasonable for Donald Trump to foresee what took place? And it's very hard to imagine that the answer is no. Donald Trump was reportedly gleeful in the early hours of the insurrection. Donald Trump reportedly resisted sending law enforcement, which would have quelled or or limited what took place. And only when Donald Trump was convinced that the political consequences uh, could be too grave, did he come out and give that mealy mouthed sort of uh, statement about, oh, we've got to be peaceful and all of this stuff. So that's what should happen. Trump won't be convicted and the voting won't be by secret ballot. I was I was actually thinking, imagine that there was a secret ballot where instead of voting out loud publicly, senators voted secretly. Um, imagine that you end up with 80 votes to convict. So, you know, 30 Republicans voted to convict, but none of them are willing to admit it. You know what would happen, right? They would again start with voter fraud, supposedly 80 votes to convict. And we can't find a single Republican willing to say, yes, I voted to convict. But you know what? It's going to be a moot point because they're not going to convict. And then it will be up to voters to determine whether they care enough to force consequences upon these Republican senators in the 2022 election. Now, as a as a reminder, when we talk about representative democracy, a majority of Americans say that Donald Trump should be convicted and barred from holding office in the future. Fifty six percent of Americans. We looked at that ABC poll yesterday. Uh, Trump's lawyers are saying that the entire trial is merely political theater. And the arguments that they are making uh, in their early uh, legal brief, and we will see today uh, and, and tomorrow more so how they actually make this case a reality. They are both saying that uh, the entire process is unconstitutional and that the House's impeachment vote was extraordinarily biased. And they are going to say that this is censorship and it's an attempt to silence Donald Trump. And of course, that's not what it is. Uh, Donald Trump was able to say whatever the hell he wanted. And now there may be consequences to him saying that. Remember, free speech doesn't mean freedom from all consequences to your speech. One other little note, um, apparently Trump's defense team is planning to show clips of what they say are examples of Democrats urging violence from last year. Uh, so I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting moments during this. But ultimately, we are going to get the political theater is going to be Trump's defense. We are going to get an acquittal. And then ultimately, we will see if the American people decide that these Republican senators need to be held accountable. Uh, the American public often has a short memory. So I am not particularly optimistic that Republican senators uh, who have prejudged this and already know they are going to acquit will be held accountable. It would be nice if they were, but I don't uh, anticipate that. And we will be live streaming the impeachment on the David Pakman show, YouTube, Twitch and Facebook channels. I hope you'll join me. But in the meantime, let me know via Twitter what you expect to see in this trial. You can find me on Twitter at the Pakman, the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19. And they're giving my audience 20 percent off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell. And that's actually why I reached out to them 
about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you, and I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky, lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can get there by going to davidpackmancom slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20 percent on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy, and anything they can't do online, they'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests, as an example. You don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care, and it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com forward slash P A K M A N. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Our program is mostly funded by viewers and listeners through the David Pakman Show membership program. Grab a membership at joinpacman.com. You'll get the daily bonus show as well as commercial free audio and video streams of the show. And you'll be supporting us, which just feels great. You can also use the coupon code better 21, all one word, better 21 to save hugely off of your membership of choice at joinpacman.com. Donald Trump has published. I can't say for sure that he's written it. Maybe he did. Maybe he just had it published. I don't know. But Donald Trump has published a letter about the impeachment trial that starts today. Now, recall that Donald Trump is the only president in history to be impeached twice, and his second trial starts today. The first day 
uh, of debate is actually going to be about whether the impeachment trial is constitutional. If that gets 51 votes or 50 50 with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker saying that the trial is constitutional, then the trial will sort of start in earnest tomorrow. So Donald Trump wrote a letter yesterday arguing that the trial is not constitutional. Donald Trump wrote from the office of Donald J. Trump with a sort of presidential looking seal statement on the next phase of the unconstitutional impeachment trial. President Donald J. Trump's legal team issued the following statement regarding the next phase of the unconstitutional impeachment trial. President Trump and his counsel are pleased that there was bipartisan support on how to structure the impeachment trial. We appreciate that Senate Republican leadership stood strong for due process and secured a structure that is consistent with past precedent, the past precedent, by the way. Uh, this process will provide us with an opportunity to explain to senators why it is absurd and unconstitutional to hold an impeachment trial against a private citizen. Now, hilariously, the letter has the presidential seal at the top. It says President Donald J. Trump's legal team. It says President Trump. And then it says it's all unconstitutional because this is just a private citizen. This is just some guy. Uh, you can't do this. I've never seen private citizens use the seal in letterhead for private letters. It's very interesting that Donald Trump is doing that. Now, I know he gets the title president for life. But if you want to play up the unconstitutionality of the trial based on Trump being a private citizen, maybe play down the references to President Trump, maybe don't have the presidential seal taking up half the page. And uh, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if a private citizen incited an insurrection, that would also be a big deal. And we're actually going to talk about the criminal aspect a little bit later when we look at some statements from Senator Rand Paul about this. But it's being overlooked that private citizens also would have repercussions for inciting insurrection. So the Trump legal team and Trump together, it's like the blind leading the blind. They want to pretend he's still president, but also say he can't be tried because he's not the president anymore. And the logic doesn't pass the sniff test. If a CEO of a company is uh, charged for embezzling and then fired. And at the time of the trial, they've been fired, right? They're no longer the CEO. Could they say, well, you can't I don't I don't work there anymore. You can't try me for embezzling embezzlement. I'm not there anymore. Uh, this is the exact same thing that's going on with Donald Trump. He was, by the way, impeached while in office. Trump was still president. Not that it matters. But Trump was impeached while in office. So imagine being, I don't know, one of these lawyers and having to deal with Donald Trump right now. And it probably explains this letter. Seeing this letter explains much of why many of Trump's lawyers quit last week. And on the merits, it's completely constitutional. Even if they had not impeached Trump until after he was president, it would still be constitutional. But Trump was president when he was impeached. This is merely the trial. So there is no good legal argument for why the trial can't happen after Trump is out of office. Trump is a scam. This is all a scam. And uh, from the point of view of Trump's unending narcissism, he's also planning to have his lawyers portray him as the victim during these entire proceedings. And I want to talk about that uh, next.
There's a very interesting article in uh, The New Republic, which we're going to link to. The article is by uh, Matt Ford, and we've um, we, we've talked about Matt Ford's work before, and it's often very, very good. And in this New Republic piece, uh, Matt Ford uh, talks about the reality that there is, quote, no real substantive defense to these charges, the charges against Donald Trump. Americans watched Trump spread lies about the elections for months before the riot. He warned in dark and ominous terms that the country was in danger and his supporters needed to fight back. Trump said at a rally outside uh, the Capitol on January 6th, you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength. You have to be strong. We have to come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors that have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. He also uh, even praised his supporters after they trampled themselves and beat up police officers as, quote, very special. So this is a situation where the facts are, are abundantly clear. And yet Donald Trump is going to portray himself as the victim in these proceedings. The main line, as Matt Ford writes, of defense from Trump's lawyers is that the impeachment trial is in that invalid because Trump no longer holds federal office, but also that Trump really here is actually the victim. Trump has been victimized on free speech grounds. Trump has been silenced. Trump isn't being allowed to speak. This is a form of censorship, cancel culture, blah, 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 blah. And that Trump is being by tried in this manner stripped of First Amendment protections. Now, of course, that's a ridiculous argument. Uh, House managers already put out a brief about this, and they explain that the First Amendment is there to protect Americans from having their free speech uh, infringed upon or curtailed by the government. It's not there to protect members of the government from their speech having consequences. Speech has consequences. That's part of free speech. And so this, at, at its core, this is simple gaslighting. And I know that at this point, there's so many people, particularly on the American right, who instantly become triggered when the term gaslighting is mentioned. This is not uh, this trial is not going to be about the Trump attorney team putting together a credible defense. The entire idea of Trump as victim who has lost his free speech rights is about putting up a smokescreen so that most I, I don't want to say all, but most Republican senators will see if any vote to convict. Most Republican senators can vote to acquit and hide behind this and say it wasn't. And, and actually part of today being about whether the trial is constitutional is set up so that you can have Republican senators vote to acquit and say, listen, I didn't even think this was constitutional. I did my duty. I think the entire thing was farcical. It was unconstitutional and I voted to acquit. And uh, this is a very common thing that bullies do. It's a common thing that narcissists do. They are the perpetrators, but they pretend to be the bullies. Authoritarians are always the victims. Strong men are always pretending to be the aggrieved. And we've seen it with Kim Jong Un. We saw it with Hugo Chavez. They are all endlessly the victims forever and ever. And that's what Donald Trump will try starting today at his impeachment trial through lawyers by arguing the entire thing is unconstitutional. Trump's out of office. This all can't happen. Once we get to the actual trial, they will argue that this is a matter of, of speech and censorship. And Trump is being victimized here by, you know, take your pick the media, Democrat, whatever. Just pick pick whatever you want. Um, and at this point, 
I would be surprised if you were surprised because Donald Trump has been playing the victim forever during the 2016 campaign. He was constantly whining about how unfair everybody was to him. The media is unfair. Democrats are unfair. Nobody's treating him uh, uh, properly. And uh, there I mean, I have a I have a sort of um, uh, I don't know, a sort of macabre detached curiosity to see how wacky and deranged the case made by Trump's defense lawyers is going to be. And by the time you listen to today's show, by the time you watch this clip, we will probably already have a sense of it because the impeachment trial starts today. We will have coverage and much more about this uh, on the David Pakman Show Instagram uh, page. Make sure you're following us there at David Pakman Show. We will take a quick break and be right back after this. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape and Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer, I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. One of our sponsors is Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer owned company shipping super quality CBD directly from their farm to your door. They cut out the middleman, which saves you money and gets you the freshest possible product, which includes tinctures, flour, gummies, skin topicals, even CBD coffee, which I've really enjoyed. The whole team loves Sunset Lake CBD, especially their CBD oil and the gummies. We always say send us more. Every time we run out, CBD is reported as being useful for relieving stress, pain, inflammation. Some people use it before bed to help with sleep. And Sunset Lake is where you want to get your CBD because they pay employees a living wage. Their farm is sustainable. And of course, because they support progressive shows like ours, they're giving David Pakman show listeners 20% off when you go to davidpakman.com slash CBD and use the coupon code Pakman. That's coupon code P-A-K-M-A-N. You can find the URL in the podcast notes. Welcome back to The David Pakman Show. 
I want to talk today about the issue of uh, transgender sports participation and maybe even more specifically about trans women in sports. And there's a really specific reason why I, I want to do this. Last week, I got a call. And as many of you know, when we do calls, they can be about anything. I'm not prepared for them. I'm just answering and the topics can be anything. And I give my thoughts at the time. And someone called in who said they're on the left. They're not transphobic. They support trans rights at every opportunity. And yet they said they recognize that having individuals born biologically male participating in women's sports confers an advantage at a physical level that didn't make sense to them. And I said, not knowing a lot about it, that I also didn't fully understand the logic. But I was aware of the fact that the right often cynically wants to make this the issue about trans rights, when the reality is it's really not the major issue that 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 make it out to be. And it's often used as a way to subtly push back against trans rights more broadly. And today I want to expand on my comments because I actually had some time over the weekend to research the issue in more detail. And the more I learn about it, the more convinced I am that it is a fabricated wedge issue meant to divide people and in particular to predispose people to be against trans rights. As I researched the issue, one of the things I learned is that hormone replacement therapy, which uh, trans women often avail themselves of over a one to two year period, comes close to completely eliminating the performance gap that we might imagine exists in some sports when you have individuals born biologically male competing against those born biologically female. Now, I want to put aside for a second the absolutely hysterical notion that some cisgendered men might, quote, pretend to be trans women and go through testosterone blocking treatment merely to compete in women's sports without actually genuinely being trans. Someone willing to do that has bigger issues that need to be resolved, but it's 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 so uncommon that it's not really the issue. The reality is that a study from 2015 called Race Times for Transgender Athletes shows that trans women have essentially no advantage in running over cisgendered women after a period of roughly a year of hormone replacement therapy. There's another more recent study which showed that after one year, there is still a modest advantage for trans women and that the length of time with the hormone replacement therapy maybe should be longer. But to get from that, the idea that this is some kind of, you know, woke cabal looking to impose Mike Tyson or his physical equivalent into women's wrestling against 18 year old girls, as an example, that's a cartoon that that's ridiculous to suggest that that's predominantly the situation that that exists in the world. And I got a few dozen emails about this and I was completely genuine when I said last week, I've not studied this enough, but at face value, it does raise some questions for me. I still believe this is a complicated issue, but the issue of trans sports is one of many issues related to trans rights, and its importance is being dramatically inflated by certain groups of people for cynical political goals. And what I mean by that is that trans people, intersex individuals, they didn't just start existing in the last five years. Sports organizations, endocrinologists and others, they've known about this for a really long time. And many institutions deal with these things on a case by case basis. So when I hear about a political movement, that has this knee jerk reaction to immediately say no trans women in women's sports, period. It either is coming from just an ignorant place 
or a place of very bad faith. So I'm glad to have learned more about it and to be able to say more. And that doesn't mean all my questions are answered with a whole bunch of sports. This is not really an issue with a certain category of sports. This is in theory an issue, and we have to look at hormone replacement therapy, actual performance differences after one or two year periods. And I tweeted about this yesterday and a few people wrote to me and they said, oh, but there, there's this particular case where someone's skull was broken by a trans woman. OK, I'm, I'm not saying that there are no issues. What I am saying is that pretending this is the issue about uh, trans rights is wrong. I'm not going to say necessarily that it's coming from bad faith. It could be ignorance, but it's, it's wrong to say this is the issue. It has to be dealt with on a case by case basis. And the other thing I would point out is the people that were re uh, replying to my tweet kept talking about the two or three individual instances. Where else would these folks say that because of two or three instances of something, we need to completely change all of the legal and regulatory infrastructure? Uh, look at the number of people that are killed by guns. And yet they say, oh, yeah, but I mean, you know, a few hundred incidents. That's that's not enough to justify changing the rules. Uh, but yet here, everybody's pointing to the same two or three incidents over the last five years and saying that justifies creating an entirely new regulatory and legal apparatus. It just doesn't pass the sniff test for me. And I've been glad to to learn more about it. Doesn't mean every question is answered. Doesn't mean that there aren't some problems to solve or questions to deal with. Uh, but I think we need to understand the sort of cynical nature that exists by uh, among those who pretend this is the issue and um, use it as a smokescreen to deny trans rights more broadly. And, and unfortunately, that's what's happening all too often. We learned yesterday that Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump earned somewhere between one hundred and seventy two million dollars and six hundred and forty million dollars in what is called outside income while working in the White House during the presidency of Donald Trump. This was a financial analysis done by crew citizens for a responsibility and ethics in Washington. I, I forget exactly what crew stands for. They looked at financial disclosures and uh, you might remember that uh, Donald Trump famously said he would donate a salary and Jared Kushner would be an unpaid advisor to Trump and Ivanka would be an unpaid advisor. She no, none of them were taking salaries while working for the government. And that was supposed to prove there's no nepotism and there's no concerns or whatever. Uh, and of course, they continued to make uh, massive amounts of money from their stakes, for example, Ivanka Trump's stake in Trump's hotel in D.C., which was frequented and patronized by uh, uh, world leaders and diplomats in order to ingratiate themselves with Donald Trump. We saw all sorts of uh, Ivanka's businesses, including related to I think it was handbags and whatever else, even sometimes promoted on national television by paid advisor to Trump, Kellyanne Conway. Um, we saw all of it and they made an insane amount of money while working in the White House advising a sitting president. But 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 what about Hunter Biden? Right. I thought that was the issue. Imagine making as much as two thirds of a billion dollars over four years while working a government job at the highest level. Now, in reality, families should simply be banned from serving in any position whatsoever for the federal government when a family member is president. At minimum, no matter what you're doing, you should have to be Senate confirmed. Now, this is, of course, uh, in addition to the fact 
that they cost the American people and taxpayers way more money, Ivanka and Jared, through their constant trips, secret service protection and the whole thing. So, yeah, it's truly shocking. You might remember and we're already seeing a lot of responses about this. People saying, well, look, the Clintons became super wealthy after Bill Clinton was president. Barack Obama became super wealthy after he was president. Yes, that's after after they weren't making millions and hun hundreds of millions of dollars during their White House years. And, you know, this is a reality. Yeah. Bernie's a millionaire. He's also almost 80. Uh, and, and at this point, if, if you've been making, you know, six figures for 30 years, uh, unless you're really bad with money, you would be a millionaire. Uh, presidents end up making a lot of money because people hire them for speeches after they're out of office. They get a cushy book deal. Uh, but this isn't even the president. This is the president's kids while working at the White House, making somewhere between one hundred and seventy two million and six hundred and forty million dollars. Um, so you can't really what about your way out of that one. Now, meanwhile, um, we don't really know what the future is of many of these Trump businesses. A lot of the Trump real estate holdings losing value over the last four years. Half the country, close to half the country won't even go to Trump hotels anymore for political reasons. And we know the D.C. hotel is struggling and a lot of these others are struggling. That is all true, but it doesn't mean that these four years weren't extremely profitable for this family. And so when Trump said he would drain the swamp, um, he obviously didn't do it. But the personal uh, incomes of these individuals while he was in office are absolutely and completely stunning. So they're all going to be fine. You know, some people feeling bad that Jared and Ivanka aren't welcome back in the social circles in Manhattan where they previously uh, 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 were, were regulars. Don't feel bad for them. They're going to be fine. They were able to work high profile government jobs. I know they didn't have a salary. I know uh, continue making hundreds of millions of dollars and uh, they, they are going to do just fine. And they did much of it on the backs of taxpayer dollars. That's the reality. Uh, we will take a quick break. The Trump impeachment trial number two starts today. We'll be covering it live. I have Fox clips coming up. I have voicemails coming up and so many more things. Glad you're with me today. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors is Hydrant, which is a delicious fruit drink powder that you mix into water for rehydration. And they're giving you 25% off your first order. It's made with four key electrolytes that the body needs, powerfully supporting your hydration. Hydrant tastes great. It's made with real fruit juice. It's been a great part of my daily routine for a while now. Keeping myself hydrated puts me in a better mood. The body needs hydration for basic energy and focus, and hydrant is the perfect way to rehydrate, especially because it's cost effective and lower in sugar compared to all of those popular sports drinks that are out there. You really have to try it for yourself to see what I mean. It tastes great. They also have a variety called Hydrant Immunity packed with vitamins A, B, C and D, which is also very much worth trying. Hydrant has a full refund guarantee if you're not satisfied and you'll get 25 percent off your first order when you go to drinkhydrant.com slash Pacman or enter the code Pacman at checkout. That's drink H Y D R A N T dot com slash P A K M A N coupon code 
Pacman. I've put the link in the podcast notes. I'm really excited that uh, one of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep. I sleep on a Helix mattress at home. I absolutely love it. And that's why I reached out to them about sponsoring the David Pacman show. Buying a mattress in the past was always a huge guessing game for me. I didn't know what I actually needed. I didn't know what I would like. But Helix has a sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have. And their tool matched me with a mattress that is perfect for me. It's cool enough at night. It's the right firmness. I generally just do way better sleeping these days because of the mattress. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress for the last two years by both GQ and Wired magazine. It is well deserved. I can tell you firsthand every Helix mattress comes with a 10 year warranty. You can try the mattress risk free for 100 nights and they will even come pick it up at your house if you don't love it. But I know you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com forward slash P A K M A N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Throughout the Donald Trump presidency, I would often jokingly say whatever happened to that migrant caravan coming to the United States border from Mexico. And of course, it was a joke referencing the completely capricious and arbitrary nature of how the Trump Republican Party and Republicans more broadly go back to the same refrains when it's convenient for them. Trump had a crazy phone call with Ukraine. Well, it's infrastructure week at the White House. Republicans propose an insane health care plan that would lead to 24 million people losing coverage while the migrant caravan is coming and Democrats don't care. Laura Ingram literally ran a segment yesterday called Joe Biden's insurrection. Yeah, I know Donald Trump's second impeachment trial starts today because he incited the January 6th insurrection. Yes, Joe Biden has a higher approval rating already than Donald Trump ever did during his entire presidency. Yes, Republicans are standing in opposition to a covid relief bill that's popular with the majority of the country. Yes, the majority of Americans wants Donald Trump convicted. So it's time for Biden's insurrection. Let's um, take a look at these clips, which, as Laura Ingram will explain to us, is Joe Biden welcoming undocumented immigrants to the United States. Let's check out the clips. Fox News apparently realizing they need to out crazy OAN and Newsmax to get back some of the audience that they've lost. Now, that takes us back to tomorrow's Barnum and Bailey revival in the Senate. Democrats are arguing that Trump welcomed and incited a violent incursion into the Capitol. When it is they who are enticing illegals to bust through our borders, exploit our resources and commit crimes. And we're not talking about a few hundred. We're talking hundreds of thousands, eventually millions, if the Democrats have their way. Even for Fox News, this is really a stretch. At this point, I don't even know if the Fox News audience believes this, at least not a huge portion of it, but some of them do. Let's listen to some more. And she really crams in a lot of hate 
xenophobia, misdirection, red herrings into this one short clip. There is an insurrection taking place against America, all right. It's been going on for years in the deepest depth of the D.C. swamp. And now its figurehead resides at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. This insurrection seeks to overthrow everything we love about America by defaming it, silencing it, and even prosecuting it. This is an organized mob funded by billionaires, it's supported by celebrities, and it's aided and abetted by propagandistic news organizations every single step of the way. These insurrectionists have stormed our schools with BLM indoctrinators. They shuttered our classrooms by empowering union heavies. They've overwhelmed small businesses with idiotic, stupid lockdowns. They've robbed Americans of good paying oil and gas jobs with obscene climate change dictates. They've ripped down historical markers from Washington to Lincoln. They've terrorized patriotic Americans who are now afraid to just speak their minds. They've burned police precincts. They've taken over entire city blocks. And not just for a few hours, by the way, but for weeks. This is the sort of brown people are going to take your house portion of Laura Ingram's program. And um, this is actually a lot of what these faux populists or right wing populists were. They, they sort of sound like populists, but their solutions are, are bonkers. Often they end up at Black Lives Matter will take your house. Brown people will take your job sort of stuff. And in that short clip, Black Lives Matter is bad. Mexican immigrants are bad. Liberal celebrities are bad. Covid guidelines are bad. Getting away with fossil getting away from fossil fuels is bad. Climate change is fake. Confederate monuments are good. And it's so heavily weaponized that it's difficult to believe that it's even real. I mean, it looks like an SNL skit of a Fox News show. If Fox News decided to run a test where they said, let's test our audience to see what's the dumbest and craziest thing we can get them to believe. How about this? Let's pretend Joe Biden is leading an insurrection. This is what that test would look like. And we've seen you know, we wondered a month ago, what would a post Trump Fox News look like? Fox News no longer covers covid briefings, which are happening, by the way. Fox News rarely covers White House press briefings, which are happening. And it's this type of stuff now fighting for the most extreme audience they can. And there's a real question as to whether they believe that that is the audience they need to be profitable. In other words, if what they were losing to OAN and Newsmax were not a particularly profitable piece of their audience, they wouldn't necessarily need to be doing this to get that audience back, but they're doing it and there must be a reason for it. And of course, the really scary part is that you and I see this. We know every word is a lie. It's it's like when it was the migrant caravan during the Trump era, right? It's all made up. It's all fake. There are millions of people in this country, though, where you sit them down and you show them that commentary from Laura Ingram and they believe it. And they think that forget about they think it's good reporting. They think it's reporting uh, rather than just the rantings of uh, of Laura Ingram. And it's a systemic problem. And when we talk about I, I don't want to do my whole rant now, but when we talk about epistemology, when we talk about media literacy, when we talk about uh, uh, identifying logical fallacies and distinguishing between 
statements of fact and statements of opinion, opinion programming, news programming, all of these things. The net effect is Laura Ingram does that. And a lot of people come away thinking I have now been informed by a news report, which is, of course, the furthest thing from what that actually was. Uh, this is very interesting to see Republican senator and Trump brown noser Rand Paul went on Fox News this weekend and tried to pawn off on Fox News host Chris Wallace this silly notion that Donald Trump can't be tried for uh, his impeachment uh, after being out of office. Now, remember that even though legally Trump can be impeached after leaving office, he was impeached while in office. But the trial is happening afterwards. It's happening now. There's nothing unconstitutional about this. There's really nothing particularly remarkable, remarkable about that. But Rand Paul tries that failed argument on Chris Wallace and Chris Wallace shuts it down and rightly so. Let's look at the first clip. The other side argues that under that standard, a president could abuse his power, quit at the last minute and could not be held accountable by the Senate for obviously if it's a, if it's a legal crime, he could be. But for a political crime, the Senate would be unable to touch him under your standard. I think that argument ignores the fact that, yes, the president can be prosecuted. And if they think he incited a riot or an insurrection, which is such an overstatement and such a conclusion without any sort of presentation of evidence, all the left wing media just concludes it. But the thing is, is yes, they can take him to court. They can take him to trial and do it. I think he has suffered under public opinion. His numbers are greatly reduced. And so I think there's all kinds of punishment. But we have to look. We've had a country for 250 years. And every other Congress thought it was unwise to keep, you know, going after an ex president. So that's actually super slippery of Rand Paul. Rand Paul throws together a bunch of different arguments there. Now, they're all bad arguments, but when you put them all together, it sounds sort of like, wow, that that was a lot of arguments, lots of reasons why Trump can't be tried now. But don't let him gish gallop you. Let's actually think through each of the arguments. First, Rand Paul says, if Trump incited uh, uh, if Trump incited an insurrection, there can be legal repercussions. Trump could be charged criminally. Trump could be prosecuted criminally. He could be convicted. He could be sentenced criminally criminally. Now, that's first of all a red herring because it has nothing to do with the House and Senate. The House and Senate don't have that power. The House and Senate don't have the responsibility of being involved in the criminal prosecution of a president. The House looks at actions and asks, did it meet the threshold for an impeachment? If the answer is yes, then they impeach and then the Senate holds its trial and evaluates the evidence. Law enforcement can do whatever it wants, but it has nothing to do with the House and Senate. So it's a red herring. But Rand Paul also wants to have it both ways because it's been these same Republicans arguing for more than four years that you can't charge a president for crimes committed while in office. It's sort of like a if the president does it, it's not a legal defense. And now Rand Paul wants it both ways. Then Rand says. Trump has suffered enough because his approval is down as he left office. That's also a non argument. It's like being saying, listen, the crimes you committed were embarrassing, so we're not going to prosecute you. It doesn't work that way. So it's another distraction. And then Rand Paul says in the past, Congress chose not to impeach former presidents. But again, it's factually wrong since Trump was impeached while in office. It's the trial that's happening now. And it doesn't matter that that's how it was done in the past. The fact that in the past choices were made one way 
doesn't mean it's unconstitutional to do it differently today. And that was his main thing, that it's unconstitutional. So Rand Paul moving the goalposts. The question was about the constitutionality. And now he says, well, Trump's already been embarrassed and you could charge him criminally. And in the past, we didn't do it this way. None of that is about constitutionality. Let's look at a little more and hear Chris Wallace just shuts it down. Constitutional scholars but, like but, Professor but, have said that the Constitution says you impeach and disqualify. If the person isn't there to impeach, you can't do either one of them. And so there are constitutional experts. But, but that say Senator Paul, also before my colleague, Senator Paul, that's not quite true. If I, if I may, if I may, in 1876, the then Secretary of War, William Belknap, serving under Ulysses S. Grant, was about to be impeached for accepting bribes. He raced to the White House and resigned, but the House impeached him anyway. And the Senate decided that it had the authority to try him. And it did try him, and although a majority sought to remove him to convict him, they didn't get the two thirds. But isn't that the 1876 case of William Belknap a, a solid precedent? No, because we've never impeached a president because we always thought it would destroy and tear up the country and divide us further. So that's another slippery attempt from Rand Paul. Chris Wallace says, isn't my example an example of how this clearly is constitutional. And Rand says, no, because that wasn't a president and doing it to a president would divide the country. Why are we talking about dividing the country if the initial argument Rand Paul was making was about constitutionality? It's completely pathetic. But what is what is sad? You know, what, I, I know I've said this before, but Trump saying I'm going to run for president, wacky people choose to run for president all the time in many countries. That's not really the problem. The problem was that in the Republican Party primary electorate, you had so many people willing to vote for Donald Trump. That was really the problem. And if it weren't for the Republican electorate, it wouldn't make a difference. Much the same way, Rand Paul saying this is unconstitutional. And then when you ask him why, he says, well, because we did it differently in the past and you can file criminal charges and Trump was already embarrassed and it would divide the country. That's not an argument about constitutionality in an in an ideal world. We would have a level of education and media literacy such that people would be able to hear that and say none of what Rand said has anything to do with the issue of constitutionality. His arguments are invalid completely. Unfortunately, as we talked about with the Laura Ingram case uh, uh, clip earlier, where she says, oh, we've now it's the real insurrection is Biden and people watch and they say, yeah, yeah, the real insurrection is Biden. The low level of media literacy makes it so that this stuff actually has an effect and starts to sort of infect and pervade society. And it's unfortunately something that is not easily solvable. It's going to be a long time. Uh, until that is uh, completely, completely resolved. So it's disappointing. We'll continue exposing it. Uh, but beyond that, we unless we really deal with the educational problem in this country, that's not going to get fixed. And it's a cultural problem as well. It's a combination of the two and these cultural education. It's a cultural educational problem. And um, it took decades, as I've pointed out, for it to get this bad. It's not super realistic to think in six months we're going to fix it. So it's uh, it's an uphill battle, to say the least. We got a really funny voicemail. Um, Sam Cedar, host of the Majority Report, and I 
were in what, as far as I knew, was like a fake feud over YouTube subscribers. But really, it's all about just growing independent media. Here's a caller who thought the feud was real and doesn't like it and also came up with a really funny metaphor. Let's listen to it. Yeah, I just wanted to leave a message and let you know something. Because I heard you say the other day or a couple weeks ago on your show that uh, or you were you were giving you were uh, ragging on Sam Cedar for having more subscribers than him. Sorry. Um, and uh, I just thought it was weird because it's like, well, I'm, I subscribed to, to Sam Cedar and I subscribed to you. So, I mean, like, turns out I, I, I guess you guys are like feuding over it. So, like. To me, it's like two bald men fighting over a comb. I, I love that two bald men fighting over a comb. But I every once in a while, you know, I had the, I had a funny conversation with uh, with Sam when this was all going on, when we were trying to get to a million subscribers on YouTube. And so was he. And I said, you know, the reason that every time I talk about it, I say, by the way, guys, this is a joke is because there are people in the audience who think that this is serious. And uh, I don't remember Sam's response. I don't know if he was incredulous or what was or or maybe he said, don't worry about that. It's funnier that some people think it's real. Um, I still get emails from people saying, David, I think it's really disrespectful what you're saying about Sam Cedar. And, you know, the the left shouldn't be infighting. It's just a joke, guys. It's just a joke. We got to a million. Sam got to a million. All is good. Independent progressive media is growing and it's a great thing. And we're excited about all of it. And it's all a, uh, a, a fantastic thing. And by the way, we are now our target now is one point five million YouTube subscribers. I know that it seems like just yesterday we were getting to one million. It was actually three, three months ago. We are now almost at one point three million subscribers. And it would be nuts if within twenty twenty one we were able to get to one point five million subscribers. But that's for a future fake feud. It's not for right now. We've got a great bonus show for you today. The Georgia secretary of state has launched an investigation into Donald Trump's so-called perfect phone call asking for 11,000 votes. We will talk about that. A judge has ruled that recreational cannabis in South Dakota is unconstitutional as written in the measure that was recently up for for vote there. And we also have found out, I don't know how many of you saw this, but there was a, a streaker in the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Um, apparently, that was a planted streaker by a YouTuber. I'm going to talk about uh, the implications of this, the importance. And uh, I actually I want to talk a little bit about the policy that many network networks have of uh, swinging the camera away, cutting away from streakers so as not to encourage them by uh, promoting what they're doing and showing what they're doing. I want to talk about whether that's effective and whether there might be other ways to uh, to to deal with it. So all of those stories and more on today's bonus show. And of course, you get instant access to the bonus show by becoming a member at joinpacman.com and live all week, including today with Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. We will be live on YouTube, Twitch and Facebook. I hope you will join me. I believe you will. Um, and we will see uh, what we get from that. I believe it will be an illuminating experience and a frustrating one. Uh, I will see you then. <laughs>